text this morning, Psalm chapter number 85. Psalm 85, notice the title to the chief musician, a psalm for the, songs, for, a psalm for the sons of Korah. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land, thou hast brought uh, back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people, thou hast covered all their sins, Selah. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath, thou hast not poor, turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Please note this next verse. This is where I'm taking our thought from this morning. Wilt thou, revi- wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to, all, and to his saints, uh, but, to, but let not... But let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh unto them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. Righteousness shall go before him, and shall set us in the way of his steps." I'm going to ask Kelly if he would uh, ask the Lord to bless the preaching this morning. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to draw your attention to verse number 6, and what I'd like to preach to you on this morning is briefly as I can, and I will try. But I want to preach to you on revival. Notice in verse number 6, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? You notice right there out of the gate, you can see very clearly the need for revival is seen. You'll know that you need revival. When you're rejoicing, kind of begins to get drained out of you just a little bit. Whereas a Christian, you're no longer really excited about the Lord. You're not really excited about the things of God. Some of the symptoms will be your prayer life will start to suffer a little bit. Yeah, I mean, can you remember a time, and you don't have to raise your hands or answer this question, but think with me if you would, can you remember a time when you actually used to pray a little bit more, or maybe even just a little bit more passionately, a little bit more fervently, a little bit more expectantly, like expecting something to come of it, 
Is there a time when you prayed a little bit more that way than you're praying right now? Is there a time in your life when you were really a little bit more excited about reading your Bible and when you read your Bible, it really seemed to speak to your heart and it was alive, it was exciting, it was something you looked forward to. It was like, hey honey, look what the Lord showed me this morning. Have you ever seen that before? And, and like you can't, it's like kind of can't stop yourself from talking about it. You want to tell somebody, you want to tell, I mean, can you remember times like that in your life and yet now maybe you're still praying, maybe you're still reading your Bible, but it ain't kind of like that anymore. Sort of something you do because you know you're supposed to do it or maybe you've even stopped. You remember a time in your life when you used to witness. I mean witness. You understand what I'm saying? Like you really cared. Like you had that guy that was your friend that wasn't saved and it bothered you that you were on your way to heaven and he wasn't. And rather than worrying about whether or not he's going to keep being your friend or criticize you or judge you, you were like so obsessed about his soul that you had to talk to him about Jesus Christ and what the Lord's done for you. Like to where you you went to the store and you're like, I see that person every week and they're nice to me and I'm nice to them, but I've never told them about Jesus Christ. I've never given them a gospel track. I, I really, get, someday when I stand before God and I see them at the great white throne judgment being cast into the lake of fire, they're going to look at me and they're going to say, why didn't you tell me? I thought you were my friend. You remember a time when you used to feel that way a little bit? And maybe now you just kind of have lost that vision for other people's soul. Maybe there was a time when you messed up a little bit like a human being does even though you're saved. And when you messed up, it really bothered you. And you were instantly going to the Lord and you're like, I'm really sorry, God, please forgive me. The Holy Spirit, you were very sensitive to him and his convicting power was very much there in your life. And and you had that joy and excitement. And then when you messed up, there was such a huge contrast between what you were feeling and what you're feeling right now in conviction that you're like, man, God, please forgive me. And like, like I say often, and it's very important to know this as a saved person, you kept your accounts with God short. In other words, confession was a regular part of your prayer life. Your conscience was sensitive to those things that grieved the Spirit of God. It bothered you when you did wrong. You were a little bit more concerned about whether or not you're walking with God and you're being what you should be than you were about whether or not your spouse was perfect and picking on your kids all the time and criticizing everybody else and making fun of the world and making fun of the media and making fun of the lost people. You were just a little bit more concerned about you and your walk with Jesus Christ, sensitive to the Spirit of God, and now you kind of aren't really as sensitive anymore. You, you, know what, you know what those are all signs of? You need a revival. Notice in the verse, Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in who? In thee. You see what is a sign of a need of revival is that that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, your love for Him, your excitement about who He is and what He's done for you, your desire to get to know Him, to be more like Him, has just sort of kind of gotten old and it's kind of wore off a little bit. That's a sign that you need reviving. When I start running the references on revival, I I figure out that throughout your Bible, it applies to more than one thing. Okay? 
But I will say this, in our modern day version of what we think revival is, is probably not at all what is really doctrinally and the majority of what the Bible would teach revival really is. We look at, like we mentioned during the song service, and you look at, you know, the Reformers. Well, the Reformers were, were, were coming out of the Roman Catholic Church. Some of them, like Martin Luther, were recognizing the falsehoods there as they studied the Bible, and they said, what the church is teaching doesn't match up what God says, and obviously it's by faith only, and it's based on the Scriptures only, and the, the Reformers, God used them greatly to bring them out of the Catholic Church and start bringing forth some things that we needed to see. They set the table for the first great awakening and in the first great awakening what you had was preachers getting excited and getting fired up and going out and preaching the gospel the second great awakening was not even a hundred years later and that thing kicked off and what you saw was masses and masses of people getting saved let me say we call that revival you'll hear preachers say america needs revival well in one minor sense of the word i'm not gonna you know split hairs with you, but in one minor sense of the word, I see what you're saying. And I'll show you that in just a minute. Because you could apply revival to your salvation in a way. But let me say the primary focus of revival, the primary focus of the first and second great awakening, folks, that was evangelism. That's different. Evangelizing the lost is different than reviving the saved evangelizing the lost is when that person was on their way to hell and now because somebody went to them with the gospel and gave them the truth of the gospel and they obeyed the scriptures, they got saved. And what a great thing to see. What America does not need is rev- you know, reviving. Get, get, get that stuff out of it. What are you reviving? America, you are in post-Christian America. You realize that, right? What America needs is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a matter of helping these people come back to what they know. Hey, listen, these generations now, the younger people now, maybe some of the older people need to come back to what they know and reject it. But the vast majority of these younger generations, it's not about reviving them. It's about getting them the gospel of Jesus Christ. What the church needs is revival. The church needs to find that rejoicing in Jesus Christ and that focus on their relationship with him. Go to Habakkuk. Well, don't turn there. Let me turn there for you. Habakkuk chapter 3. Let me just read you two verses. Now you know why I said don't go there. Habakkuk chapter 3. The Bible says this. The prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet upon Shiganoth. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. I pulled three things out of that when I was looking at it. And he's talking about revival. The first thing you're going to notice is it's connected to prayer. It's a prayer of Habakkuk. Number two, you're going to notice it's connected to the word of God. I have heard thy speech. What's that? That's the words of God. And then number three, what you're going to notice is that there was obedience to and a fear of God. Obedience to those words. He said, when I heard thy, I have heard thy speech and I was afraid. In other words, there's a man seeking God. 
He hears the words of God, and based on the words of God, he believes what God says so much that fear strikes his soul, and he begins to obey what God says. And as he's going through that process, as he's actually reaching out to God, as he's actually listening to the words of God, as the fear of God strikes his soul, and an obedient spirit, an obedient heart towards the Bible is found, he says, then God, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. What he recognized is, God, we're, we're, we're cold. God, we're dead. And notice what I just read to you. He said, in the midst of the years. Now let me say this, and then I want to show you three things about revival from Psalm 85. For whatever reason, as we get older and serve God longer, guess what happens? Spiritually speaking, now it's a spiritual, not doctrinally, spiritually speaking, you tend to die out. Let me just say what's wrong with second generation Christians. There's, I find no fault. I am one. I'm trying and I believe that the Lord's doing it because I believe they're responding to it. But we're raising and almost about to release some of them from their captivity third generation and I really 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 more than I could tell you I want to see a fourth generation of Christians second generation third generation Christians get a bad rap but I'm here to tell you the reason you get a bad rap is not because you were raised in church the reason you get a bad rap is not because you didn't go out there and spend your life wasting it in the far country and getting all messed up and these kids don't appreciate the Lord because they don't know what the Lord did for them. Who's forgiven much and love me much and all that. That's not really the root cause of why second and third generation Christians get so cold really die out in their relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, if you think about it for a minute, if your mama and daddy got saved and didn't know nothing, but they got saved... And then their life begins to change and they try to raise you in church the best they know how. I don't care how old you were when your parents got saved. If you're still under their roof and they got saved later in life and they're trying to follow God, you have an unbelievable advantage that God has got a privilege God gave you to get some things instilled in you that they didn't get growing up. Don't be so hard on them. You'd be lucky to do half as good as they're doing. But think about it. If you got raised in a Christian home and now you're raising your kids in a Christian home, you're passing down what your mom and dad gave you. I want my kids, hear me, I want my kids to go do better than I'm doing. I would love someday God helping me to be able to pull into my kid's house and say, wow, you're more successful than daddy. You got a bigger, nicer house. You got a nicer car. You got a great life. I want that for my kids, don't you? You know, compete with your kids. You're crazy, man. I want to see my kids be successful. I would like them to see everything that, that God did in my life that made sense that I tried to give to them. I'd like them to take every bit of it and then I'd like them to go well, like, mom and dad were really great, but this or that I could probably tweak and maybe I could be a little better. Wouldn't that be great? 
You see, the problem with second, third generation Christians and all that stuff, it has nothing to do with the fact that you come from a good background and so you don't love God and you don't have enough passion for God because your life wasn't a complete wreck and God didn't get you off of heroin and you weren't a fornicator and you weren't a homosexual and you weren't all these things that God cleaned you up and got you out of. The problem with second and third generation Christians is they just kind of been at it long enough to where by the time you're 20 years old, if you were raised in a Christian home, you've been 20 years in that environment. I'm 45 years old. My parents were saved before I was born. I was raised in a Bible-believing church, rightly dividing, King James only, from before nine months before I was born. It's super easy to hit those middle years, spiritually speaking, a lot sooner. And when you get there, you tend to lose that youthful zeal, that excitement. The newness of it all wears off. And what you need is reviving because I'm telling you, God's better now to me than he was back then. I know more about him now. How to love him more now. I've seen him do more now. He's been patient with me, man. You have no idea. You have no idea. Some of you think you have an idea because you've been patient with me too. Amen? You've been here any longer than 10 years and you've definitely... See the grays on Rob's head? Just 40 this week. Those all like came from me. He's been working with me for 10 years. He had brown hair when he started and he doesn't anymore. So it's me. God's been patient with me, man. God's been good to me. I think God has changed me, and I hope he has. I want to be changed more like Jesus Christ. I'll never forget somebody was all messed up and upset and mad at me and leaving the church, and they said, you've changed. And I said, good. <laughs> I'm trying to change. Probably not the right best pastoral reaction, but, you know, yeah, I want to change. I hope I'm not the same guy I used to be. But, you know, in order to change, I need reviving. Listen, when you see new Christians come on board and they're all fired up, leave them alone. You know what God does with the new Christians for a church that's a little bit more matured and starting to grow and been around a little while? God brings the new Christians in to remind you how wonderful it is to be saved. God brings the new Christians in to remind you how far you've fallen from where you used to be in your first love for Jesus Christ. Thou hast left thy first love. That's why we need reviving. That verse just keeps sticking out to me more and more in the last couple of years. And another one, he talks about their works and he said, thy last shall be more than the first. You know what? I want to be like that. The older I get, the busier I want to get for Jesus Christ. And I want my works to be more now than they used to be. But in order to get that, I got to get revived. You just hit comfort zones. You just get to where everything's going good enough where you can kind of put it in neutral and start coasting and you're still moving forward because you had so much momentum from before. You need reviving. The first reason in the text that I see we need reviving is because of sin that's in our lives. Look at verse 1. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sins. Selah. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast, not, thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Do you know what that typifies? That typifies your salvation. You know what God did with Israel in verse number one? God delivered them from the bondage and captivity that they had in Egypt. Pharaoh in the Bible is a type of the devil or the Antichrist. Egypt in the Bible is a type of the world. And what did God do by a miracle? He delivered them out of the world. 
That's a type of you and I before salvation where we were in bondage to the world. And what the Lord did when He saved you is literally, I'll show you here in a second, He revived you. Go with me, if you would, please, to the book of uh, Romans, chapter number 7. Keep your finger here in Psalms, because we're going to come back in a minute. But I, I have to show you a couple of verses and explain something to you in regards to your salvation. Especially because it, it's possible with this many people in the room that there's somebody here that's never been saved. A lot of people will say they're a Christian, or they're new to Christianity, or, or nowadays there's buzzwords, okay? Watch this. It's really dangerous. And moms and dads, I'm going to try to help you with something here in a second. If you're raising your kids in church and you want to see them saved. There's buzzwords that go on nowadays in church, and you've got to watch out for those buzzwords. I, I think a lot of times it can be almost like getting an immunization, right? What they do is inject you with a dead thing enough to where your body builds an immunity to it so you don't get the real thing. Follow me? That's exactly what... I'm not making a statement on immunizations. I could care less what you do or don't do. You're going to die anyways either way, so whatever. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying it's enough of a dead thing to where your body's supposed to fight off the real thing. Here's one of the ways to do that. Have you taken your next steps with Jesus? Have you accepted Jesus into your life? Do you believe in Jesus? Will you believe? Yeah, I believe. I didn't used to believe, but now I'm a believer. Okay, so what does that mean? You know, the Bible says the devils also believe and tremble. You guys know a lot of these really famous guys out there that are really educated, you know, psychologists and the rest of these guys. They're they're like coming to a, a belief in Jesus. And you get all kinds of fake confessions, but actually if you stop and listen to some of them, I used to be an atheist, but I'm not anymore. And then you listen to them talk about the Bible and you listen to them begin to explain what it means to be a follower of Jesus and their loss is the Pope. It's a dangerous thing. Oh, did you hear? This great psychologist is finally a believer. And since he's conservative and one of the only conservative psychologists out there, A bunch of Christians are being duped by the devil into following him. And what he's doing is he's getting you away from the Bible, but you don't realize it. Dangerous stuff, man. You know what you need when it comes to sin? You need forgiveness of your sin. How are you getting saved if you ain't lost? The devils are lost. They believe in Jesus. So belief alone ain't enough. That applies to your mind. What you need is something that applies to your entire being, to your soul. Look at Revelation chapter 7 and verse number 9. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived. See that? Revival. Sin revived and I died. You see it? Well, what happened to sin? It was brought back to life. It got revived. Now, you see how he says, I was alive without the law once. Now, we don't have time to run all the references, but let me just explain this to you, and and hopefully it'll make sense to you. When a child is born, it is born dead in trespasses and sins. Okay? You know why? Because you're a sinner. So those little babies come forth from the womb speaking lies. You've heard my illustrations before, and it's true. You know, they'll scream and yell in the crib as though they're dying, and you go in there and pick them up. As soon as you pick them up, they're fine. Well, the way they were screaming, they're letting you know that they're dying. They're literally lying to mama. 
they learn very early to manipulate you. Now listen, if you've got an infant and you swat them because they're lying, you are an idiot. <laughs> I have to say that because you wouldn't believe how stupid some people can get in church. They think they're so doctrinal, you know, they become morons. It's practically just unrealistic. It's an infant. So you figure out when the infant's lying to you, you go and you check and you burp them and you check the diaper and you know that they're full and you put them down. And then what you do if you're a smart parent is you let them cry it out. Because you don't teach them to control you by saying, I want to be picked up, I don't want to go to bed right now. So you start training them. You're not disciplining them, you're training them from the beginning. So what happens is when they're born, they're born dead. But the thing of it is, is that according to this text, I was alive without the law once. The sin that is in their nature is not imputed to them. Where do babies go? Well, you want to see a great manipulation tactic of a church that wants your money? Well, you know, you got to pray that baby out of purgatory. You kidding me? My newborn baby is in purgatory because it died as a newborn? I met somebody on the street, strung out drug addict. You know why she's all drug, strung out drug addict? Her one-year-old baby died, suffocated in blankets. Yeah, those dope heads. Well, what would you be if you found your baby dead in a crib? And you didn't have Jesus Christ. Before you start harping on everybody all the time. You know what that woman needs? She don't need somebody beating up on her. She needs somebody to tell her, well, you know where your baby is? You want to see your baby again? Because I can tell you what God says about where your baby's at. Don't matter whether you put anything in the box or not. Don't matter whether you pray or not. The doctrine of it is, is that the sin that's in that child's nature is not imputed to that child when there's no law. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. So now here's the application for you. When that child gets to an age where it knows the difference between right and wrong, good and evil, and chooses evil anyways, which we all do, at that point they're accountable. So now, I'm not going to give you an age range because that's dangerous and playing God and all the rest of that stuff, but you better be super, super careful about worrying about, well, so-and-so's kid's already saved and mine's that age. Or I, you better not worry about that. I don't give a flip whose kid is or isn't saved as in a thing of competition between my kids. My wife and I wanted to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that the Spirit of God had convicted our children, that they understood the gospel, they knew they were sinners, they knew they were on the way to a devil's hell, they understood that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save them, and that without asking Jesus Christ to save them, they weren't going to heaven. We wanted to make sure that they knew that. Now, here's the thing. You and I can't draw the line. I mean, some of these people, you know, say a kid is saved at really young ages, I highly doubt it. I'm just saying, I highly doubt it. I don't want to give them the vaccine. I want them to get the real dose of the real thing. doesn't matter what age your sister's got saved at. You better watch it when it comes to baptisms, mom and dad. Because your little one, for whatever reason, they all want to do that. It's a hot summer day, getting dunked in the water, everybody's watching, everybody claps, and the little human nature says, I want to do that too. Okay, honey, you will someday. You know, take it or leave it. What we did with our kids is when they come to us asking us, we put them off. We figured that if they asked a question and they were perfectly content to run away and not worry about it, 
We'd answer them. We didn't ignore the question. We'd answer the question, but we watched and we prayed and we were asking God to show us, to give us confirmation, to comfort our hearts, to know that we're doing the right thing at the right time. Because that's a little soul. All souls are equally important to God, but let me ask you a question. Are they all equally important to you? You ain't God. I mean, your loved one. Right? So that's a little soul. So I'm praying. I'm saying, God, make sure this kid knows. Now, here's the thing. When they're raised in a church like this and the Sunday school's like we got and they're getting truth all the time, that age of accountability is much younger. But you know this? I, you're not considered biblically. Biblically now, don't get mad at me, some of you young folks. Don't get mad at me. But biblically, you ain't considered an adult till you're 20 years old. So where's that line? I don't know. If you're a heathen out in the jungles and you never got any truth... I think God knows and God understands each individual but human being and each individual heart. And just to comfort some of you, that if you had lost loved ones or the loved ones you weren't sure whether or not they were saved, if there was in them a desire for truth, God got the truth to them at some point or another. And for all you know, they may have gotten saved. You just have to trust God with that. But what you got to understand is the moment you were saved, it was a reviving in your spirit. We don't preach a feeling, but that's why when you ask Christ to save you, man, you know it, man. If you've been born again, you know it. See, I don't remember my first birth, okay? It was definitely a day, place, and time, and my mama sure enough remembers it. You understand what I'm saying? But I remember that second birth because it's a big deal. I was there when it happened. I knew the convicting power of the Spirit of God. I recognized I was on my way to hell. I knew Christ died on the cross of Calvary. I was afraid because I knew the wrath of God was on my soul. And I wanted salvation. And I asked Jesus Christ to save me. And I felt like at five years old. I'm afraid I shouldn't tell people that anymore because some people think that's the number for their kids. I was one month before my sixth birthday. That doesn't mean your kid has to get saved then. Don't push it. It ain't your badge of honor. It's a soul. You let God work on them, but one month before my sixth birthday, I got saved. I remember telling my dad, I feel like somebody took a Mack truck off my chest. Whoo! The weight of the world was gone. I mean, all those years of heroin. All the people I beat half to death, the people I murdered. It's that long history of hard sin. No, it was God Almighty moving into my soul and I knew I was saved. Hey, I was excited about it. Not long after I was saved, I led a little neighborhood kid to Christ. He was walking by down the road and I want to tell him about it. He got sat down on the curb with me. I was not allowed to leave the property. You understand that? My parents were just like, I was not allowed to leave the property. He was riding all over, running the whole streets, and I was so jealous, but I stopped him. And I sat on the curb with my feet in the road. I was in trouble. I was actually breaking the rules, but it felt good. You know, I was showing him I'm a man too. I remember that kid, long hair, got saved. I said, okay, now here's the deal. You listen to rock and roll music? This is back in the, you know, it was the early 80s, so this was like preached on constantly. He said, yeah, I said, you can't do that anymore. Go get your, go reach your records and we're going to stink and break them. He went and got his records and we broke them on the curb in front of the house. My mom said, you ain't what? His parents are going to kill me. I thought that was part of discipleship, man. He's in now. He got rid of the rock and roll. He's saved. Woo. Next, we got to get his hair cut. You know, that's another big one. I was just, I was a kid, man, and I knew what God did for me and I was excited. Why? Because he revived something inside of me that was dead. That's a great thing, man. 
Go to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to show you a couple, uh, chapter 2, excuse me. I'm going to show you a couple more verses. Ephesians chapter 2. And you hath he quickened, verse 1. See that? That means made alive. It means revived. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, you see mercy keep popping up when it comes to reviving? For his great love wherewith he loved us. Man, what a God. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye, saved, ye are saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Here's the infamous verse. You know it. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Man, that's a great verse, ain't it? It's a free gift you received, and when it happened, something inside of you got revived, and you got excited about it. You can't get saved and not be excited about it. Man, it's just a great thing. Now look at the next verse. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in him. Now that you're saved, guess what? He's working on you. And in that process of God working on you, there's ups and downs. There's good times and bad. There's exciting times and then there's times, listen to me, if you stick it out, there's times not so exciting. When it gets there, you need reviving. Go to 1 John 1, 9 if you would please. I'm sorry, 1, 4. 1 John, 1, 2, 3 John, then Jude, then Revelation, then we'll come back to Psalms. Sin in our lives is what causes us to need reviving in the first place. But here's the problem. We've been talking about sin as it relates to salvation and the reviving power of God's Spirit on a dead spirit of a person. But here's the problem. Once you got saved, if you're still in this flesh, your sin problem is not solved. Now wait, wait, hear me clearly. As far as your eternal soul is concerned... Your sin problem is solved. If you drop dead today, you're not going to hell because the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. He said that you have, you have, you have, you have eternal life. You understand that I'm about 39 years, I'm, I'm, I'm a couple months away from 40 years into eternity already. I'm 40 years in to eternity. Not, not what you're looking at, but what's inside of me. I already have eternal life inside of me. Ain't that great? The problem is I'm stuck inside a sinful flesh. And this is why sin is why we need reviving after salvation. Watch 1 John 1, 4. These things write we unto you that your joy, see it? Remember verse 6 in Psalm 85? That your joy may be full. Uh, some of you don't have a full joy anymore. I'm not being hard on you and I'm not criticizing you because I know personally 
Pers- I mean, I know personally from my own experiences how many times I've served the Lord without any joy left. And I want to give you props because when you keep going and you don't feel like it, I think God is pleased with that. I think it's a good thing. But you better not stay joyless because you won't make it eventually. The devil's going to get control of your life. He can't get your soul, but he wants your life. And he's going to get it. He's going to get it. Martin Luther could sing, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. Why could he sing that? One little word shall fell him. He could sing that because of his relationship with Jesus Christ and his faith in the word of God and his focus on the word of God and his closeness to Jesus Christ. You don't want the devil to get your life. These things we write unto you that your joy may be full. This, is then, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. You ever feel like you got darkness in your heart? Not, now I'm not talking about sin, okay? Maybe that's it. I'm just saying the lack of joy. All you can focus on is the bad stuff that's happened. Just discouragement. Discouraged. A lack of courage. Opposite of rejoicing. Watch the next verse. If we say we have fellowship with him, see it? Well, that's Psalm 85, 6. And walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, notice, we have fellowship one with another. It's a good church. Good church fellowships with each other. Why? Because they're walking in the light. We love the Lord. We're all about Jesus Christ together. And if we don't have fellowship one with another, it's because we're not walking in the light. You start backbiting, gossiping, criticizing, constant put-downs. You know, the jokes that are always a put-down of the next person. I mean, a little bit of sarcasm is fun. A little bit of, you know, a little bit. Once in a blue moon. If you really know the person. And your friends. You got good camaraderie. Friends do that. Acquaintances. That are con- people that are constantly putting other people down. Something's wrong, man. Something is wrong with you. You ever get in a church like that? You ever get around Christians like that? Just gossiping all the time. They're not walking in the light, man. You know what they need? They need reviving. Because when we're all walking in the light, we have fellowship one with another. There's a clean spirit in the room. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth, present tense, us from all sin. Now watch verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So these people that preach sinless perfection, they're lying to you. Look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. You know what the whole context of that thing is? That ain't your salvation. That's your walk with Jesus Christ. You have to confess your sin to have a close relationship with your Father. It's not, I don't confess my sin because I'm afraid of losing my salvation. These jokers that try to teach you, you don't have to confess anymore and that doesn't apply to you. They are corrupting the word of God. That is not the truth. You have to confess your sin for fellowship. 
I don't ask Jesus Christ to forgive me because I'm worried about losing my salvation. I ask him to forgive me because I'm worried about my relationship with my heavenly father. I want to be close to him. I want the rejoicing in my soul. I want the reviving to come and he will restore that fellowship if you ask him. God will fellowship with a man who has sin in his nature, but God will not fellowship with a man who has sin in his heart. He's stinking biblical perverts that try to tell you you can live like hell and God says, what sin? I don't see any sin when you confess your sin. God says, what sin? You're an idiot. Yeah, maybe as far as your soul's concerned, but in your fellowship, maybe you need reviving because it's been a little while since you got on your knees and said, Lord, I'm real sorry for my attitude. I'm real sorry for my thoughts. I'm real sorry for my spirit. I'm real sorry that I allowed myself to drift away from the word of God. I'm real sorry I don't love you like I should. God, I need you. The reviving will come back to Psalm 85. We need reviving because of sin that's in us. We need reviving also because of spiritual factors or spirit factors in our lives. Here's what I mean by that. Look at verses 7 and 8. Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. But let them not turn again to folly. You know what happens to you and I as we go through life? Disappointments show up. You know, sometimes you need reviving not because of sin in your life. Have you ever been serving God and not the two, trying to do right, trying to keep your count short? None of us would say we have no sin and we're perfect. But you ever say, Lord, I'm really trying I'm struggling here. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, there's nothing in my life that I'm imbibing in that I know is wrong. And yet I still, man, I'm dead. I mean, I, I'm just not there spiritually. I'm not excited about these things anymore. I'm really trying to keep going and stay faithful and be what I'm supposed to be. But it's not there. You realize sometimes that can just be the weight of life disappointments in life, the realities of life. Life is difficult. Life is hard. Proverbs 18, 14 says this, the spirit of a man will sustain his infirmities, but a wounded spirit, who can bear? You ever see somebody perfectly healthy and because their spirit is wounded, they can't bear life? Have you ever been there? You ever been where it's kind of hard to even get out of bed and you're healthy? Wounded spirit. You know, sometimes you need reviving not because of sin in your life, but it's because of sin in the world and things happen and life is tough and your spirit kind of gets broken. Do you know God loves somebody with a broken spirit? We'll see it in a minute, but go right real, real quick with me to Psalm 138, please. You're in Psalm 85. Just flip over to Psalm 138. Psalm 138. Just the weight of life. Look at verse 7. It says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. You see, 
He's saying, though I walk in the midst of trouble. Sometimes you need reviving just because you got problems. You know what your problems will do if you're human? If you're just human. I'm not talking about because you're carnal and you're terrible and you're weak. Because you're human, your problems will naturally just pull your eyes off of Jesus Christ. Your troubles will naturally pull your heart away from the word of God. Have you ever got down to pray and had a hard time praying because you're just really overwhelmed? I have. Honestly, I have. I have knelt down to pray sometimes and just said, you know what, forget it. Just got up, walked outside, and walked around my yard. And it wasn't because God said, this is the sin, and I said, I'm not getting it right, and anything like that. It's just a little too much right now. So maybe you need to cut yourself a break. Sometimes you need reviving because the load you're carrying is a little bit too much for you. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou will revive me. You know what you got to do at that moment? You got to turn to God and say, I need you to breathe some life into me, please. You're the giver and the sustainer of life. And I don't know the answer to my problem. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know how to get back what I've lost. But I know you can do it. And you know what what you'll find if you really want it? God will revive you. God wants to see you alive. God wants to see you excited. The question is, do you want to see yourself excited? Back in Psalms 85, please. He said, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. You know, it's not just the disappointments of life, but sometimes it's the lack of peace because you're in a spiritual battle. Have you ever felt it? How many of you have ever had these random times, don't raise your hand or nothing, just thinking, just think out loud. I'm I'm thinking out loud with you, you understand what I'm saying? Just ask yourself. Random times where you were doing good and now all of a sudden you're just struggling. And you can't necessarily even explain where it comes from. Have any of you ever randomly been hit with doubt? Your faith was strong. You'd proven your faith. You'd done the homework. You're just like, man, there's no doubt about it. Actually, to believe the Bible and to believe Lord Jesus Christ seems like it takes less faith than to not believe. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue... Some thought hits you or some thing you hear on the radio or somebody else or just some random like, whoa, that's deep. I never thought of that. All of a sudden you start struggling with doubt. Any of you ever got victory over past sins and then all of a sudden have them resurface? Out of the blue. Not something you were feeding or trying to do out of the blue. Hmm. You think maybe you're in a spiritual battle? My preacher said this, and I've never forgotten it. He said, you remember this, Mike. Whenever a man acts out of character, it's because he's under pressure. In other words, you get to know somebody, and they act a certain way, and you know their character, and you really got some confidence in them, and they start acting funny. Like, he ain't ain't himself. And you start getting critical or wonder what's going on. Let me just tell you, give them a little bit of grace and recognize they're probably under some pressure. Well, what pressure? They got it made. Well, you can't see the spirit world. And you don't know what kind of attack they may be under by the world, the flesh, the devil. You want to see how this world feels about Jesus Christ? You need to go with the Stan Arbor. I hate going down there. 
I don't mind going to poor places, depressed places. I don't mind going around sinners. I can't stand people that are self-righteous in their sin. When they're like, I'm good, and here's what I am. I just, they don't want it. This world hates Jesus Christ. We're out there preaching this week, and they're walking by making the most perverse and ungodly and wicked accusations against us completely out of the blue and walking away. <laughs> you want to stink and punch them. Sorry. Now, that's not right. I know that. But, man, when they get up and call you certain things, say you don't even know who you're talking to. This world is against Jesus Christ. And it, gets, it wears on you at work sometimes. You're trying to hold a testimony. You're trying to hold a standard, and you're inundated with it. And it's tough. You know why you need reviving? Because when you're fresh and full of joy and the Lord's real to you and he's made himself real to you and you're filled with boldness in Jesus Christ, it's a lot easier to stand up for him and to speak graciously. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you might know how to answer every man. It's a lot easier when you're filled with reviving, when you're excited about the Lord, to be able to take that stand the right way. You're against it. And it wears you out. And that's why you need to ask God to revive your heart. I think a lot of Christians are wearing out nowadays because they're failing in their personal relationship with Jesus Christ to keep it fresh and alive and revived and new. And if you'll do that, you'll get that second win. I want you to see the last thing this morning. I want to draw your attention in verses 10 through the end of the chapter there, 10 through 13. I want you to see the Spirit of God in revival. Watch this. Mercy and truth are met together. I like this verse. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. You know why that's a beautiful verse? Because truth is the Lord Jesus Christ. You know how perfect he is? Yeah, do you know do you, do, we, do we even understand what holiness really is? You have never lived a day of your life in perfect holiness. You are you're surrounded by a sinful world. You've never been in a holy place untouched by sin. You're born under sin, you're sold under sin, you live under sin. There's weeds in your yard no matter how much you fertilize it and try to keep them under control and all the rest of that stuff. You got to weed your garden, you got to get your money by the sweat of your brow. You've never lived a day in your cotton-picking life in perfect holiness surrounded by perfect holiness. We can't even totally grasp what it is. Could you imagine? I mean, to me, I, 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 I can't, I would want that like inside. You understand what I'm saying? Like my emotions and my feelings and my perspective and my view of people and all the stuff that contaminates you. And you're like, man, I'm too critical. Man, I'm too hard on people. Man, I, like to be just like holy, <laughs> to see it like God sees it 100%. What a beautiful thing that would be. Yes, we get little glimpses of it when we're revived, but when you see truth, I mean, sanctify them, he said, through thy truth, thy word is truth. You look into the Bible and you start reading your Bible and you realize it's looking back at you. 
You say, man, I'm not that. And I'm not that. And I'm not that. And I feel there. And I feel there. You hear preaching and you're like, whoa, man, I got so far to go. You know what's a blessing is when the mercy of God shows up and puts a kiss on that truth. The righteousness of God is there and righteousness meets up with peace. What a blessing, man. Because when I see me and then I see him and I see the Bible, I begin to doubt myself. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive the things done in his body, whether they be good or bad. I mean, I'm going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive my works since my salvation. That ain't for lost people. There ain't no lost people at the judgment seat of Christ. They appear at the great white throne judgment before God. The judgment seat of Christ is a judgment for you and me if we're saved. And then Paul, in the context of that, says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. I'm trying to do this morning. The terror of the Lord, what's that mean? Nobody's really clearly defined it yet. That's all we know. Yeah, no, I'm not really all that pumped up about that. I'm living in light of it, but when I look at myself, I get a little bit afraid. And then I come to Psalm 85, and I see that God Almighty wants to revive His people and loves His people, and mercy and truth have met together. Well, where'd you meet that at? When you met the truth. The Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see what I'm saying? I got the truth. I'm a sinner. I got the truth. I deserve hell, but... Mercy came in, walked into the courtroom and said, I got it, judge. See, I paid the price. I got it. He's mine. And a sigh of relief comes over your soul, man. It's like, man, thank God I got him. Because when I see me and I see the expectations, I can't meet him. But boy, he sure did. What a God, man. What a blessing. Your soul gets revived because your eyes get off of you. Your confidence is no longer in you in what you've done. It's in Him. And you're like, thank God for mercy in the light of truth because I can't stand up to the truth, but I've got the truth. Thank God for it. And now that Spirit of God is washing you this morning and in your Bible reading with the water of the Word of God to get all that junk out of you that's naturally in you and put in you by the world and in your flesh and and comes at you by the devil and the attacks of the Spirit around you and all the avenues he has now to get into your mind and get into your heart and pollute you and you keep beating yourself washed with the water of the Word of God which is the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God and you're kind of keeping yourself cleansed out by that Bible. You're revived in the Word of God and cleaned up by the Bible. Thank God for the Spirit of God. Thank God for the book He gave you. Because you can say, yeah, I know the truth about me, but I also know something about mercy. Thank you for it. I know a little bit about righteousness, and I know that I'm not it, but thank God peace has come and kissed righteousness. His name is the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ, and because I got Him, I'm going to be okay. The truth. Righteousness. Let me show you a passage real quick. Flip over to Psalm 119 and we'll come back and close it out. Psalm 119, please. So because of sin in the world and disappointments in your spirit, the brokenness of your spirit, you're going to need reviving. Some of you need it this morning. Some of you are going to need it later. You've had it before and you're going to need it again. Psalm 119, look at verse 25. My soul cleaveth unto the dust. Watch it. Quicken thou me according to thy word. Like he did when he saved you? Yeah, but this is a different quickening. 
It's when you're down on the bottom and your soul's cleaving and you're not really revived, you're kind of dried out. And then you open up the Bible and you say, God, would you please make this thing fresh to me again? He's praying, my soul cleaveth unto the dust. His prayer, quicken thou me according to thy word. He's a request to God. It's a prayer. Right in the Bible. You know why you need the Bible? Right there. The Bible will revive you. Look at verse 28. My soul melteth for heaviness. You see it? We already covered it. That was the second point I made this. The problems, the spirit problems in the world, disappointments of life, discouragements, the battle you're in. My soul melteth for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according to thy word. What happens when you get the Bible? You get revived. You're quickened. You're strengthened. You're picked up out of the dust. You're excited again. You're renewed. You're helped. Look at verse 38. Folks, this is what churches, that's what we're here to do this morning. God helping me, I'll get better at it. If God will help me, I'll get better at it as the years go on. But we're here to help quicken you and to get you excited about the Lord and to keep you fresh and to keep serving God as much as we can. It's a blessing, man. Got to be excited about it. Verse 37, turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity. Well, we got it everywhere. If he could only see the day we live. Well, the Spirit of God must have. Because he put it in there for us. Quicken thou me in thy way. Look at another one. Look at verse 93. I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. Back to Psalm 85 and let's close it out. Look at verse 12. Yea, the Lord, yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. Righteousness shall go before him, and shall set us in the way of his steps. Look at that. You know what happens when you get revived? The Lord produces the fruit in your life. The Lord shall give that which is good, or the fruit of the Spirit good. Is peace good? Is joy good? Rejoicing good? Are the fruits of God's Spirit good things? Victory over sin, is that good? You know where you get it from? The only one who went about doing good. The only one that everything he did, when he looked at it, he said it's good. The Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. I sure want, I sure want my life, my ministry, my family, my children. I want everything around me as much as is humanly possible. I want to get out of God's way so that he can produce in my life what he needs to produce. But it requires reviving. It requires a reviving in your relationship. Verse 13, righteousness shall go before him and shall set us in the way of his steps. Who who are you disciples of Jesus Christ, you followers of Jesus Christ supposed to be following? Whose steps? You know where that thing comes from? It circles all the way back to verse 6. That thy people may rejoice in thee. It comes from your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Being what it's supposed to be. When you get that relationship with him right. It's a lot easier to get in that book that tells you more about him. It's a lot easier to get on your knees and talk to him. It's a lot easier to hear his voice. It's a lot easier to sing songs to him. It's a lot easier to say no to things that get in the way of him. 
that block you from hearing from Him and walking with Him and experiencing the fellowship with Jesus Christ. It's a lot easier to talk to lost people about Him when your relationship with Him is revived. What we need this morning is reviving. Stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes.